0: I'm Trey Kay, and this is Us and Them from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. It's a podcast where we explore the stories from America's cultural divides. This is our second installment, and for this program, I thought it would be good to play a report that I made back in 2009. It's a piece that I produced with Deborah George, and it's called The Great Textbook War. And if you haven't heard it, I thought it might give you an idea as to why I have a deep interest in the culture wars. So, here's The Great Textbook War. In 1974, a storm was brewing in the mountains and hollows of West Virginia.
1: Our people are standing up again to preserve well, a little bit of sanity in society that we
2: have left. I felt like I was standing still and the world was just flying in circles around me.
0: This storm marked one of the first battles of today's culture wars. I pledge
3: allegiance. To the, flag and to the
1: In Kanawha County, West Virginia, there was violence today in the continuing demonstrations against the use of controversial textbooks in the schools. The Charleston Gazette said in an editorial today, the county is near anarchy.
4: Earlier this week, a school in the community of Cabin
1: Creek was bombed with a homemade device.
2: There was a whirlwind, all right, and all I did was just stand where I had always stood, and it was driving liberalism crazy.
0: Coming up, the Great Textbook War. Get dirty thieves! Dirty thieves! Hi, I'm Trey Kaye. Recently, I've been fascinated with the tea parties and demonstrations that have taken place across the nation.
5: I'm tired of looking at the TV and screaming and seeing what's going on in our country.
0: Thousands of people who believe the government is out of control, who feel that the country has lost its moral center.
4: Society does not work apart from God and God's rules. He is the author of government. Our encouragement to America is to repent, turn back to the living God, fall on your face in humility, and ask God to save your country. God
0: will. Take They've care. taken to the streets an army of Howard Beals who are mad as hell and are not going to take it anymore.
6: We are the people, and we have finally awoken, and we are not going to stop until we take down this government.
0: In a way, it seems like I've heard these things before. I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia, the capital of the state and the seat of Kanawha County. In September, 1974, the year of the Great Textbook War, I was 12 years old and about to enter the seventh grade. When the bus rolled up to John Adams Junior High School that first day, I saw a group of women holding homemade signs. One read, I have a Bible. I don't need those dirty textbooks. What dirty textbooks, I wondered. Were we going to be reading Playboy in school? In the next few weeks, our community would be turned upside down. Neighbors threatened and harassed each other. The Ku Klux Klan, which I'd heard of but never seen, marched on the state capitol steps and burned crosses in the community. It all seems hard to believe now, but to understand what happened, you need to know a little bit about where I grew up. Let's say I were to blindfold you and transport you to The Hill, the affluent neighborhood in Charleston where I grew up. You'd think that you were in anywhere suburbia USA, kids playing in cul-de-sacs, dads cooking burgers on outdoor grills. Our neighbors were doctors, lawyers, business people. Outside the city, twisting bumpy roads wound through hills and hollows, past small towns and mining camps. There are general stores and filling stations, men in grease-covered overalls, and dozens of little churches filled to capacity on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. There was a lot that was different between urban and rural Kanawha County, not the least of which were our churches and our accents. One institution did tie us together, the Board of Education, which oversaw Kanawha County's 125 schools. But that was before the Great Textbook War. On April 11th in the spring of 1974, the Kanawha County Board of Education met to consider some new textbooks that were being proposed for adoption. The meeting will please come to order. We're starting a little
7: bit late this evening.
5: I remember it going into it as a typical meeting. I mean, I had attended these before, but just as a teacher. My name is Becky Burns. I was a member of the five-member textbook selection committee in Kanawha County Schools in 1974. Thelma Conley presented. Um, the rationale for the selection. Not
3: only did the committee look for multi-ethnic content, but also um, multicultural.
5: We were uh, operating under state guidelines. One of the guidelines, which was a new one, was that the textbooks, they should be multicultural in their content and in their authorship.
0: When the book presentation had concluded, School board member Alice Moore questioned a term used in the report, dialectology. It was intended to encourage students to feel comfortable in expressing themselves by using their natural dialect.
3: I just don't think I agree with that approach at all. In fact, I'm sure I don't.
7: What was that?
0: Alice Moore was the lone female member of the Kanawha County Board of Education. She was a minister's wife with four children in the schools and the only board member without a college education. And it didn't seem right to Mrs. Moore to teach incorrect English in school.
3: There's a correct way uh, to speak. Now, there may be some slight variations, but dim is never correct, dat is never correct for that. Now, if we're talking about this in dialectology, I want to prove these books.
0: Mrs. Moore's objection caused a sensation. It was rare that an ordinary member of the community, a parent, had questioned the decisions of education professionals.
8: I was just sitting back saying, okay, you know, let's let's get it done. And like every once in a while happens, all of a sudden, whoops, you wake up, and all kinds of things are happening different than you expected. I'm Kenneth Underwood, and at the time of the controversy, I was superintendent there in Kanawha County. the The board normally always relies upon your textbook selection committee. Uh,
6: They're the experts. Uh, My name is uh, Russ Isaacs. I was on the Kanawha County Board of Education for six years. Why not leave it up to the professionals? I mean, what are we paying these people to do? I mean, they're professional educators. What am I? I'm an accountant. What the hell do I know about education? (laughs)
0: Alice Moore may not have had a college degree, but she was well-read and well-informed. She'd been keeping an eye on attempts to bring sex education into the curriculum. And for some time, she'd been reading about the radical left and their attempts to use American schools to change society. In her mind, all the talk about multiculturalism and dialectology was just a cover-up for a larger liberal agenda.
2: I almost think Kanawha County was a test case. This was happening in different places around the country. But I wonder if they didn't think they could come into West Virginia, that these were backward, uneducated people. They could come into this little state, they could do whatever they wanted to, and nobody was going to question them.
0: After some discussion, the board moved to approve the books, but hold off purchasing them until they'd had a chance to review them more closely. Okay, would you be willing then to go along with the approval of these recommendations the, on that basis?
3: The recommendation on this basis.
0: Okay, would you so move?
3: I'm, I so move.
0: All in favor of the motion say aye. 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 Opposed motion is
2: Well as soon as the meeting was adjourned my husband happened to be there that night. He didn't always go with me, generally didn't, but he was there that night and he walked up and handed me a book He said I want you to look
5: what you just adopted. I don't remember which came first the tabling or the objection to the, the Malcolm X quote. You know
6: I remember Malcolm X being a flashpoint for uh, for Alice.
0: The quote that Alice's husband pointed out was from the autobiography of Malcolm X. All praise is due to Allah that I moved to Boston when I did. If I hadn't, I'd probably still be a brainwashed black christian.
2: I'm just so offended by that. That remark in a student's textbook. So I told um, the superintendent I want every book delivered to my house. I want to see every book. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start reading these books. And we sent
8: them all there, all 300 plus. I just figured if she wanted to read 300 plus books, she could.
0: Alice's objections at the board meeting had mostly been about grammar. Now she found things that made her feel even more uncomfortable. Four-letter words scattered throughout the stories. Sexually suggestive works by E.E. E. Cummings and Allen Ginsberg and excerpts from memoirs by Black Panther's George Jackson and Eldridge Cleaver that combined anti-Americanism and sexual vulgarity. Alice began giving interviews to the media, spreading the word about what was in the books.
8: As the, as the people were reading the newspapers, reading letters to the editor, uh, going to various meetings, they started choosing up upsides. And it wasn't about a passage, it wasn't about a portion of a book. It was the books. You were either for them or against them.
0: A few months later, it was time for the board to make its decision on whether or not to purchase the books. June 27th was a rainy day in Charleston but people were flooding in from all parts of Kanawha to the Board of Ed meeting, hoping to voice their opinion on the textbooks.
2: They were standing out in the rain and you just see this sea of umbrellas because they couldn't get inside the building. The building, there must have been 2,000 people there, I guess, I think it was estimated around 2,000 people. The building was full down the hall all the way to the outside where people were standing. I think maybe the windows were slightly opened.
9: We would go to the window and we would motion for them to come around to the bathroom.
0: Phyllis Harmon was a mother of two and concerned about the books.
9: And they would come around there and and we would pull them through the window. We'd, we would go in, maybe take four people into the restroom and uh, come back out with 10 or 12.
0: Mick Statton worked in a local bank.
4: And I went to that meeting and that was the first time I realized how sharply the divisions were drawn. But it was just a, kind of a, a kind of circus atmosphere at first until they really got right down to the brass tacks. With underlined
0: copies of the texts in hand, Alice began to question those who defended the books.
2: I knew what I was going to be accused of. These narrow-minded religious fanatics uh, just, you know, wanting to censor textbooks. I knew we would be accused of book burning. In Nazi Germany, would be brought up as this... Terror threat.
0: Alice questioned a selection from Freud in one of the supplemental texts.
3: Another, in the same book, Essays in Theory, there's another article on the sexuality of children, uh, their sexual feelings toward their parents,
2: where they spell out quite explicitly how every little girl has a very sexual desire to, for her father. Anyway, Sigmund Freud, this was something he had said, and he said every child Every boy desires to have sex with his mother and every girl desires to have sex with her father. And that was so repulsive to me to think that any child would see that. I knew that thought would never leave their mind. What strikes me, Mrs. Moore, is that you're pinpointing a few objectionable things.
0: As Mrs. Moore questioned book supporters, Nell Wood, chair of the book selection committee, sat biting her tongue.
9: I think any parent has a right to say, no, I don't want my child to read that. But nobody has a right to say, I don't want your child to read that. That's going beyond common sense.
0: The objections moved from Freud to fairy tales to felons. Moore brought up an excerpt from Soul on Ice, the memoir by Black Panther Eldridge Cleaver who spent time in prison for rape and assault.
3: Is it your feeling that in order to represent minorities, that we should, specifically blacks, that we should represent them with the Eldridge Cleavers and uh, the uh, George Jacksons and the people of this time?
0: Dan Moles probably represented how most parents felt about children reading Cleaver in literature class.
6: Yeah, Eldridge Cleaver, yeah, uh, Soul on Ice. In the second or third chapter, he's talking about going across the tracks and raping white women, you know, and things in there. Well, I mean, that's fine if that's what you want to do up in New York, but that doesn't fit on Camel's Creek very well, you know. Thing.
0: But Mrs. Moore wasn't just speaking to white members of the community.
2: They represented the, the worst of society and called that multiculturalism. I don't think that represents black culture, or at at least that's what I was trying to say to the black community. This is not a fair representation of your culture.
1: In a strange way, I respected her strategy.
0: Reverend Ron English was a member of the local chapter of the NAACP.
1: This is a very conservative uh, community. Within the black community, there were people who felt like some of the writings were anti-Christian. Uh, that some of the writings were unpatriotic, you know, because maybe she had had some some clues that that was that sentiment in the African-American community or in the black community and that she wanted to kind of speak to that by way of saying, now, well, we're, we're all Americans here. You, you understand that uh, we are not talking about race here. We are talking about good old honest American values. She's pretty media savvy. The way that she went about raising questions, and and she would do it in a very uh, cool, calm, and collected kind of way.
3: Mr. Clendenin, you mentioned the academic uh, freedom of teachers at all educational levels. Do you think that a teacher has the academic freedom to challenge an elementary child's religious beliefs?
0: Moore worked her way through the objections to the books. Full of coarse language, they were anti-Christian and anti-American, But if there was any one thing at the core, it was that they encouraged students to question the values of their parents and community. Like an experienced trial attorney, she grilled Richard Clendenin, the president of the County Association of English Teachers, when he brought up the subject of academic freedom.
1: To challenge his beliefs. To challenge an
3: elementary child's religious beliefs.
1: I don't believe he has the right to challenge his beliefs, but he has the right to challenge him to think. For himself about those beliefs.
3: He has a right then to uh, put a doubt or a question in an elementary child's mind about whether or not there is a God or if the Bible stories are myth- mythology or fables. I will have to have quiet. But I can't do like any- it wasn't
2: just a matter of throwing in foul words to you know for children to see. It was a matter of getting children to accept a whole new idea. They talk about this self-actualization, uh, the self-actualization, uh, the uh, clarifying your own values. You have to establish and clarify your own values. The idea that a parent could teach their child that this is right, this is what you should do, this is wrong, you should never do this. That had to be removed to free this child from the idea that there's an authority that tells them what's right and wrong. That they themselves can determine by themselves what is right for them. And truth is whatever is truth to that individual.
0: And there it was, in a school board room in West Virginia, a basic fissure in American values was exposed. Whose rights take precedence? The family or society's? What is the proper role of the parent as head of the family?
10: If I have been successful as a parent, nothing my children can read in school can hurt them.
0: There were several parents, like Mike Wenger, who defended the books.
10: Most of us remember the childhood saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, and I would add ideas, can never harm me. To summarize, this is the only world in which we live. We cannot hide it from our children. We can only determine when they will find it and where they will find it. Let them find it today rather than tomorrow. And let them find it here in our schools rather than on some street corner in New York or in some rice paddy in Vietnam. Thank you.
0: The passion-filled speeches went on like that for a little more than three hours before the board made their decision.
3: Mr. President, I'm prepared to move that we move forward with the purchase of the basic textbooks
7: as adopted by this board on April the 11th. I'll second the motion. All in favor of the motion to adopt, say aye. 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 Opposed? No. No. The motion is carried three to two.
0: Coming up...
11: Shattered windows, chairs scattered about what was left of Mrs. Catherine Albright's first grade room at Midway Elementary School at Campbell's Creek, West Virginia.
0: That's after this short break. You're listening to The Great Textbook War of 1974. I'm Trey Kay. In the late summer of 1974, Americans were struggling to find their footing in uncertain times. That August, Richard Nixon became the first American president to resign from office. Fighting in Vietnam continued despite a peace agreement, and in California, a group calling itself the Symbionese Liberation Army was robbing banks with kidnapped heiress Patty Hearst in tow. In Kanawha County, West Virginia, parents were pouring over their children's textbooks, unsure of what they were reading. School board member Alice Moore had started a fight against the textbooks, and a number of fundamentalist preachers joined her cause.
12: We're all out for one thing, and that's to not see that, that, that our children's minds are, are torn down and, and this stuff goes into the schools. We're together. The
0: preachers' community. congregations we're ranged together. over Kanawha County's mining communities. Marvin Horan, a truck driver and preacher from the Campbell's Creek community, called for a school boycott.
1: Now the thing we have to do is to stay out of school until the books are gone. We must stay out of school. The books must go. We can win if we'll stay out of these schools.
0: Leaflets circulated with excerpts from the texts. A lesson on mythology used the example of Aesop's fable about the gladiator Androcles and the lion who spares him because he'd once pulled a thorn from his paw. It seemed innocent enough. Only the lesson also cited Daniel and the lion's den.
3: I went to a meeting at a church across the road from where I live and it said in there that God was like a fairy tale, that he wasn't real. And people's not gonna stand for these books and I'll keep my kids home before I send them.
4: I don't have a problem with them studying Androcles and the lion or anything like that. What I have a problem with is comparing a myth, which is clearly a myth, Uh, to the Bible. And that's the problem.
13: There were night meetings all over, in schools and out of schools, in churches, on the street corners, shouting your cause so that you would, it was constantly keeping people stirred up. It was the Civil War of books.
12: I say this to you today. You that are here, if you've never been on a protest...
0: Kaki Eller, a young English teacher, went to one of the meetings where Reverend Avis Hill spoke.
12: Come Tuesday, I expect to see ghost rooms in, in Canola County.
13: I expect to He's see- very charismatic. And the crowd that came were very, ban those books, burn them, let's burn them, let's put them in piles and burn them. And I was standing beside a man that was a businessman in the area, I won't relate his name, but I said, you know, John, this is getting a little bit out of hand here. And I can remember that he pulled his coat back and said, don't worry, I'll take care of you. And he had the biggest pistol on his body that I'd ever seen.
14: It was a scary time because all the the adults and the, your parents and people around you were acting in ways that you'd, you'd not seen them act before.
0: Kelly Wills was a rising 6th grader that fall at Midway Elementary School in the town of Campbell's Creek.
14: My mom's... Involvement, the extent of her involvement in, with me in school was to be a PTA mom and to, you know, come for the Christmas party and all of all of that. And now all of a sudden she's going to meetings where they're discussing not sending your kids to school. The whole thing was kind of twilight zoneish, really.
0: And the rhetoric kept ratcheting up. Reverend Charles Quigley was heard to pray for God to strike down the school board members who had endorsed the books. On September 3rd, the first day of school, officials estimated 20% of Kanawha County's 45,000 students stayed at home.
11: This is the CBS Evening News, with Roger Mudd substituting for vacationing Walter Cronkite. And in Washington,
13: Bob Schieffer.
0: The national networks, which had been focused on the anti-busing riots in Boston, turned their cameras south towards the angry parents of West Virginia.
13: There were people here I remember from everywhere. Every news, every anchor, everybody anywhere.
11: Al Walker in Kanawha County, West Virginia. And the more people that came,
13: the more angry the controversy became.
11: The Kanawha County school buses here in Dickinson didn't run today. They were blocked by a group of angry parents, some of them coal miners... Who object-
0: Avis Hill was in demand as a spokesman for the protesters.
12: We want what's right for our children. We want these dirty, nasty books. I've been quoted many times through this by uh, UPI and the others, that the dirty, nasty books, and we want what we want out of schools. And-
0: Reverend Hill even recorded a song for the protest.
12: Our lost heaven, West Virginia,
4: Dirty textbooks, broken hearted.
5: Well, I'm against the
14: books, but I don't see yeah. doing
4: it this way. How would you say that? Yeah. Well, there has
14: to be another way. I think it's illegal to keep him out of school, and my child
0: wants to go, so he's gone. Parents who did bring their children to school would be met by taunting protesters. Kelly Wills went with her mother to picket in front of Midway Elementary School.
14: I felt sorry for him. I do, one thing I remember, they never they never made eye contact. Nobody, They never made eye contact. They looked down. They never spoke, you know, they would take their kids and have them close to them and and walk them through this gauntlet of people.
0: Seeing the picket lines a lot of parents gave up and turned the car around. Kanawha County was Union country and it took a lot of nerve to cross a picket line. The book protesting mothers also began showing up at the morning shifts at the mines urging men to join the protest. It worked. Despite union orders, thousands of miners walked off the job.
12: At that time, and I guess some of it's true, they would strike at a drop of a hat.
0: But this time, miner David Callison says they were serious about the protest. There was a new contract coming up in November, and the men were already facing a possible strike and loss of pay. Callison worked with Dave Lucas who had been arrested and spent 30 days in jail for trying to get workers from the local alloy aluminum plant to join the protest.
6: And I thank God one day, and I'll believe I'll get a reward for what I did.
0: Callison and Lucas said miners knew an economic boycott would have more power than just a school walkout.
6: There's some for the books, probably, and there's some against the books, but they wouldn't cross a a protest line.
0: Within days, more mines were shut down. So were chemical plants and grocery warehouses even municipal bus drivers stopped work. A message was being sent.
6: Coal mines started shutting down, other businesses started shutting down. Then it, it, was, it was no longer a, a bunch of backwoods uh, retarded people. It was, it, was, it was a legitimate gripe that we had.
0: The business community was split on the protests. Most were against them, but others with fundamentalist leanings gave money. The miners who were pro-union and mostly democratic weren't all churchgoers but they didn't like their children being taught outsider notions.
12: They was going to teach my kids uh, socialism, homosexuality. They was teaching situational
0: ethics. Like whether it was okay to lie. One of the lessons used the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, asking children whether it was right for Jack to steal from the giant. This insistence on questioning everything flew in the face of local values. I'm, I'm big on respect. Just that simple.
12: My my kids was raised to respect you. The only thing that was required of you for them to show you respect is you need to be older than them. That's all. It you didn't have to be a handsome, you didn't have to be a hunk, you didn't have to be smart. You had to be older than them, and
0: they showed you some respect. Then. And then there was a simple fact of geography: the mountains had acted as a buffer between West Virginia and the nation. But by the 1970s, interstate highways and cable TV created a sluice to the outside world. Chemical companies like Union Carbide and DuPont attracted to Kanawha well-educated, cosmopolitan families from places like India and Brazil. And to poorer, more working-class areas, young VISTA workers were coming to Appalachia as teachers.
6: All these younger teachers came with different attitudes from different states and he had a different uh, ideal of what curriculum should be. It and is it, the basics. The, yeah, the reading and writing and arithmetic uh, and, and, and history. I pledge
8: allegiance
3: to the flag and history.
12: We're using some of the textbooks that's used in the public schools, the basic textbooks, uh, history books, algebra books, math books.
0: In 1974, Kanawha County parents pulled their children out of public schools and sent them to Christian schools, which began popping up like dandelions, in church basements and storefronts and old filling stations.
12: Uh, Some of our reading books are a little different. We have some uh, books that are written by uh, Christian publications. There is one other book I assume you'll have. Uh, Yes, sir. We'll definitely have the Bible. The Bible will be the main textbook.
0: Kelly Wills, now Kelly Wills Carson went to one of those new Christian schools and says she understands why her mother chose to send her.
14: These people have a right in this country, don't they, to to raise their kids the way they see fit within the law. They have a right to not have have their children unduly influenced by something that they don't they don't agree with.
0: Kelly took me to meet her mom and a brother at the family home located on the main road leading up the Campbell's Creek I'm so Hollow. i
14: worried about you. I know, I just started talking.
13: <laughs> Sit down. I I'm Marlene Wills. I'm
11: Butch Wills.
0: We've Kelly's mother says she learned what was in the no, text from a retired school teacher who lived next door.
13: And she would find something in the book and she'd holler for me. She'd say, come over here and look at this. And I'd go read it.
0: Mrs. Wills agreed with this. the book protesters, but wasn't there. a staunch fundamentalist.
13: Well, now I go to church uh, and I go to Sunday school and I believe in God, but my name is not on the book.
0: Meaning she's not saved.
13: My name's not on the book at the church. But I didn't send Kelly to school and I believed in the book protest. I didn't want her taught them kind of values.
0: Back in 1974, Butch Wills used to hang out at the Campbell's Creek anti-textbook headquarters and is still good friends with the family of Reverend Marvin Horan, who used to run that office. He picks up the phone and calls Marvin's nephew, Steve, to come over.
11: Hey, Stevie home. Yeah, get him on the phone.
0: When Steve came into the Wills living room, we had a long talk about the various aspects of the book struggle. Religion, class, culture. At one point, I brought up the sensitive subject that seemed to be at the heart of the textbook fight, okay. race. I mentioned how the textbooks were intended to help students gain a multicultural experience. Steve explained that this was a concept that wouldn't have had much support from up the creek. In 1974, Campbell's Creek had been all
10: white. You know, I mean, this was a racist community. I mean, there's no doubt about it.
0: Steve and Butch say that one Sunday during the protest, a rumor spread around Campbell's Creek.
10: I remember
11: that Sunday that they said the blacks was gonna march up here, and and who knows why, but they was supposed to be here, and the people was ready
10: for them.
13: I was scared to death. I can remember.
10: Yeah. I mean, I can even remember that night. Yeah.
13: Yeah.
10: That- Apparently somebody got a phone call and they had just went through some toll booth on the Turnpike and were almost here. 10 yeah.
11: <laughs> I mean, minutes from Canada. Yeah, I mean. And it went up this creek like wildfire. Yes. Mm-hmm. While their wives and mothers and grandmothers was in the church on Sunday night, their husbands and uncles and brothers and cousins was in the parking lot
10: with shotguns and deer rifles.
11: I think dad even got his gun I think
10: so, yeah. You know, you if you would have been a, a strange black person and got lost up Campbell's Creek, you'd been dead that night.
0: Now, just to be clear, no black group ever marched up Campbell's Creek, and Steve Horan says times have changed a lot since then.
10: That's you know 35 years ago, and you know as generations have come and gone, you know now we've got you know blacks that live up here in a lot of places, and it's not a big deal. I mean, you know, it's not an issue at all. But in
0: 1974 it was a big deal. Kanawha County's black and white populations may have held similar values, but to many blacks, the book protest seemed racially motivated.
5: I was suspicious because they were saying it was not racial. I couldn't buy that.
0: Mildred Holt was an English teacher in the school system at the time. She was excited about the possibility of being able to teach the works of black American writers like James Baldwin, Langston Hughes, and Gwendolyn Brooks.
5: I think it was about race. I don't think it was about culture. I think it was a pent-up fury about the um, civil rights movement. And they were afraid of blacks becoming so well educated they would take their jobs. That's the way I felt. And then when I saw signs about get the nigger books out of the county. Oh, the signs were everywhere. And when I saw looked out of my office window and saw the Ku Klux Klan, I knew then that it was purely racial.
0: The Klan made their presence known during the textbook controversy. The textbook protesters had to spend a good deal of time and money publicly disavowing them. As protesters gained visibility, more national groups on the right and the left took interest. The John Birch Society, the National Education Association, and Bob Dornan, representing a group called Citizens for Decency Through Laws, came to Kanawha, as well as a fledgling group of conservatives from Washington, D.C.
15: We, uh, we found out about the Kanawha protests when we primarily, I guess, read about it in
16: newspapers. We didn't realize what we had stumbled upon.
0: Larry Pratt is the Executive Director of Gun Owners of America. But back in 1974, he was the first treasurer of the newly formed Heritage Foundation. Connie Marshner was the group's education director.
16: Heritage in those days was a baby organization. I mean, literally, we had just become a legal entity. We were five people in rented space next door to a garage.
15: And we had seen uh, these kinds of things percolating, and these ideas were floating around that the children should be taught in a way that was so very different from what their parents had been taught and what their parents wanted.
16: The networks ran the stories on the Kanawha County all over the country. Many, many viewers saw those stories and said, oh, I'm not the only one who has these problems. It's not just my school district. It's not just my family. I'm part of something bigger. It had the effect of bringing the attention of the public to this textbook problem and the public school problem all over the country.
15: We were all just delighted that we had a chance to to have a, a grassroots constituency that had risen up to try to deal with something that we thought was a problem. We thought, well, let's
0: go help them. We think they're right. On October 6th, preachers Ezra Grayley and Avis Hill staged a rally in front of the school board office. Such a demonstration was a violation of a court injunction restricting protests close to a school building. So they, along with many other protesters, were arrested. The Heritage Foundation took up their legal defense. In
1: Kanawha County, West Virginia, there was violence today in the continuing demonstrations against the use of controversial textbooks in the schools. The Charleston Gazette said in an editorial today, the county is near anarchy. More on the story...
0: Snipers fired at school buses, a book protester was shot through the heart. And then...
11: Shattered windows, chairs scattered about. What was left of Mrs. Catherine Albright's first grade room at Midway Elementary School at Campbell's Creek, West Virginia. A US Treasury agent and Kanawha County Sheriff's officer speculated the damage was the result of dynamite set off before sunrise.
0: Within the span of a few weeks, several elementary schools around the county, as well as the school board headquarters, were dynamited or firebombed. No one was injured, but people were wary about sending their kids to school. When the Lord
9: give me my children, he give me sense enough to raise them. And I sure i am not going to raise them to get blowed up under a pile of bricks or shot at in a school bus.
0: Shortly after the bombings, the school board announced that they had come up with a compromise. Most of the textbooks would stay in the schools, but parents would have to sign permission slips allowing their children to read them. Children whose parents didn't sign could go sit in the library during the lesson. Was this at least a partial victory for the people who oppose these books?
3: Not really, not really. Um, What do we do? Does the child hold his hand up and say, uh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Smith, my mother doesn't want me to read that book. I've got to leave the room. I know what happens to a child like that. They're the laughing stock of the schools.
0: The compromise did little to soothe the frustration of protesters like Reverend Henry Thaxton who felt they were being condescended to by a cabal of cultural elitists.
6: If they had ever shown any real interest in just listening, I think that's all we really wanted. Nobody ever really listened, nobody. They just, they built a wall and, and thumbed their nose at us. And, and that's frustrating. That's frustrating to you, it's frustrating to me it's frustrating to any human being to be ignored. I'd rather you'd hit me than try to ignore me.
0: Some protesters brought their frustration to the next board meeting.
6: My name is Carl Priest and I'm the
7: acting chairman of the Business and Professional People's Alliance for Better Textbooks. That is the teacher's chapter. I'll speak briefly... And I'll...
0: Carl Priest <laughs> came to ask the board how teachers, who were fundamentalist Christians, were to use texts that were so deeply offensive to their religious principles.
7: I just remember that the place was packed. I was scared. I spoke. I am not here to criticize. The four of you that voted to return the controversial books have been adequately and suitably
8: criticized.
0: Priest addressed Superintendent Ken Underwood and board members Matthew Kinsolving, Russell Isaacs, and Alice Moore.
8: I could see in the front two rows
2: people that I had never seen before. There was a group of men sitting there, maybe coal miners, I don't know, the big men and others, I guess, sitting there on the front row.
0: Charleston Gazette reporter Kay Michael and Reverend Avis Hill were also in the room.
16: The uh, men started gathering around. They, they kind of started making a, a semicircle up near the, uh, the board member's desk. All of a sudden, fists were flying.
6: I just saw punches thrown to the face uh, towards the head and that's it. I looked over and some woman was just beating the hell out of Matthew Kinsolving with her bag. I mean, just pounding him. Uh, There was a woman
12: in the crowd and she pulled out a can of mace and she was spraying mace and was spraying at the Board of Education. She was trying to spray the mace on the superintendent of the board.
0: Superintendent Ken Underwood got into the fight.
8: It was either get involved or stand there and take a beating.
12: After it was all over and it happened, I came back in, and the crowd dispersed or whatever, and the police was there. And and I uh, stood up and I said, Dr. Underwood, I'm sorry for this incident tonight. I apologize for the fact that uh, we've had some, this fight that broke out. And Dr. Underwood had a handkerchief up to his nose and was wiping blood. And he looked at me and he said, only thing I can say, Reverend, is just be better be glad I never got my hands on him. <laughs> so, he was ready to fight. He was ready to mix it up. I think we Marvin made a redneck out of Dr. Wonderwood that night.
0: About a week after the rumble in the boardroom, there was a break in the Midway Elementary School bombing investigation.
7: About 11 p.m. at night, I got a call from one investigator. He said, you need to get to the office. My name is Wayne A. Rich, Jr., At the time, I was Assistant United States Attorney in the Southern District of West Virginia.
0: Rich went in and heard the report of ATF investigators who'd been questioning a suspect named Delbert Rose. Rose was a Campbell's Creek resident who had spent a lot of time at the anti-textbook headquarters located up that hollow. During the interrogation, Delbert confessed to throwing the dynamite bomb into the Midway Elementary School. Then he told the investigators about another plan that would send a message to parents who continued bringing their children to school.
7: He said there was a discussion at that school textbook protest headquarters that night on Campbell's Creek that they could take a blasting cap and put it inside the gas tank of a car and hook the wires to the brake lights. And when the car, when the kids got in the car and you backed down, like onto the road and you hit the brake line, it would blow the gas tank on the car.
0: Before this, all of the terrorist acts had been leveled at empty buildings. Rich moved fast, indicting six people for conspiracy. People were shocked to see Reverend Marvin Horan's name at the top of the list. At Marvin's trial, Delbert Rose was the main witness for the prosecution. He told the court that Horan had given the conspirators a biblical basis for the violence they were committing.
7: At that time, Marvin Horne began reading several passages out of the Bible, including, quote, There is a time and a place for all things, a time to love, a time to hate, a time to kill, a time to be killed, a time for peace, and a time for war. Close quote. Marvin Horne further stated, quote, If you're going to war, if you get all your horses and your chariots and go to battle or go to war, be not afraid, because the Lord thy God is with thee.
0: Delbert then told the court what these words from Horne meant to him
7: quote, I was not to be afraid when I was asked to put dynamite in Midway School, that the textbooks was wrong and there was a time to stand up for right and to stand up again wrong and that this was like a war against the textbooks, close quote.
0: Marvin Horan was convicted on one count of conspiracy and he served three years in a federal penitentiary.
11: His conviction didn't sit well with people
0: on Campbell's Creek.
11: It was hard on everybody up this
10: creek. I mean, people just, they just couldn't believe they was doing Marvin that way. And there's no doubt that the intent was to find a way to stop Marvin Horn, you know. And I guess the way they came up with that was, you know, to level these charges, once this violence happened, you know, that gave them exactly what they needed. Uh... Because, I mean, without a doubt, the intent was, if we stop Marvin Horn, we stop, you know, this cause.
11: He was railroaded, the way I look at it. I mean, that's, oh, that's what you, you got to say what you believe, and that's what 95% of the people up here believe. They still believe that way. But Marvin's
0: prison sentence didn't sit well with some on the Pro Book faction either. Reverend Jim Lewis, a liberal Episcopal minister in Charleston, was one of the most outspoken advocates for the textbooks and was diametrically opposed to Horan on just about every issue regarding the protest. However, he spoke at Marvin's sentence hearing and asked the court for leniency on his behalf.
7: There were a group of us in the community who felt that uh, his conviction should stand, but that rather than put him away in prison in Kentucky or wherever, it might be good if he were to put in some kind of probation here, some kind of uh, accountability here, and then be and then be helpful in bring about some reconciliation across the county.
0: After the trial, things, for the most part, settled down. The civil war of books was over, but reconciliation has been hard to come by.
9: I am so tired 30 years afterwards of people wanting me to state the position of those stupid protesters.
0: That's next, after this short break. You're listening to The Great Textbook War of 1974. I'm Trey Kaye. When the textbook war was over, it was hard to tell who had won exactly. The book supporters claimed victory because the books went back into the schools. On the other hand, some schools refused to use them. Jay Sprigg was a student at one of those schools. Sprigg calls himself a liberal redneck. He graduated from high school in 1983, attended West Virginia State College for a while, and worked as a carpenter until he was disabled a few years ago. You
4: know, I don't want to dwell on it or carry a grudge, but... You know, I, I got out later in the world and talked to friends who, you know, I remember one one friend I was talking to, he had to do a compare and contrast report on 1984 versus Brave New World. Like, where, where, was, where was my teachers on stuff like that? You know, we were spending the whole semester on Beowulf. You know, nothing against Beowulf, but... Old semester. Sprigg
0: thinks his teachers wanted to avoid any kind of controversy and just never assigned much modern
4: literature to their students. I can't think of a better place in the world for an 11th grade English class to study the grapes of wrath. But we never would have. They would have never done that. The Upper Kanawha Valley in West Virginia would be a perfect place for a teacher to teach the grapes of wrath. But we didn't. A lot of teachers agree.
0: Becky Burns, who was on the committee that selected the disputed texts, says the protesters' angry words stayed with her for years.
5: I I, I hate to admit it, but I think they're still in my head. I'm a brave person, I'm a brave teacher, and and I was going to do the best for my kids. But I did think twice, on occasion. And I know of other teachers who thought more than twice. I know of some teachers who never used those books, even though they were restored. They said, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to put myself out there to be threatened, to be criticized, to have constant turmoil in my class.
0: And some teachers' antipathy for the protesters is just as raw as it was three decades ago.
5: I
9: am so tired 30 years afterwards of people wanting me to state the position of those stupid protesters. And they were stupid.
0: Teacher Nell Wood, who chaired the selection committee, doesn't take kindly to suggestions that she see the situation from the protesters' point of view.
9: It seems like the world is set to see these poor people who had things pushed off on them. I had a position. And nobody ever wanted to hear it. They didn't want me to say it. I think it is necessary for us to grow up and recognize that it's a big, wide, wonderful, scary, ugly, beautiful world. There's everything in it. And we have to learn to look at it and not fall
14: apart.
0: Reverend Jim Lewis, the Episcopal minister and leader of the Pro Book side, was bothered by how the teachers were demonized.
7: We weren't dealing with a population of teachers here who were into devil worship or communism worship or or, uh, atheism or, uh, I mean, many of the teachers went to churches in this community, but they understood the separation of
0: church and state. Paul Cowan, a New York writer who covered the protests for the Village Voice, characterized the textbook controversy as a holy war between people who depend on books and people who depend on the book. This distrust of public education was a permanent legacy of the textbook war. The protesters feared a schoolroom that was void of traditional values. Even people within the public school system were troubled by that. In 1974, Dr. Philip Souter was assistant state superintendent for West Virginia's Department of Education. He was also a fundamentalist Christian. Some years after the protest, he resigned his post and worked to pass laws to make Christian schools and home schools legal in West Virginia. To Dr. Souter, the whole controversy boiled down to one question.
12: Uh, what is the role of the parent, or what should a parent be able to say about the education of their own children. Or it raised questions like this, and I think a very real question, who does own the child? I think parents um, in West Virginia or any other state, as a matter of fact, should have much to say about the education of their own children. And I think they are equally able to make good and wise decisions about the nature of education for their children.
0: Connie Marshner and Larry Pratt say the issue of parents' rights prompted the Heritage Foundation to organize a conference on education in Kanawha during the textbook controversy.
16: We wanted to get a track record for doing things and bringing conservative intellectual ideas into the discussion.
0: The Heritage Foundation built on the textbook protests to rally support of values-minded conservatives throughout the country. School boards became the launching pads for new right politics and the Heritage Foundation went on to play a leading role in shaping conservative policy during the Reagan years and beyond.
16: So ultimately, you could say that the Kanawha County issue really helped set the stage for the emergence of the Christian right.
15: Very similar themes, uh, an overweening, tone-deaf government, and the people are probably saying today what I imagine they were saying in Kanawha County 35 years ago, sit down and be quiet, you work for us listen to what we have to say
8: God bless America,
0: this past summer reverends avis hill and ezra grayley joined a few dozen other textbook warriors at a reunion in little creek park in south charleston to eat chicken and apple pie and swap stories about those heady days in 1974.
9: I think we were a wonderful bunch of people, to <laughs> tell the truth. Fight for something clean and right and legal. Hey, <laughs> I felt like a soldier of the Lord. Onward, Christian soldiers. Marching
0: like many protesters, Phyllis Harmon, now Higginbotham, says the textbook war was the most significant part of her life.
9: It caused me to realize that I had to really stand guard on, on my children and watch everything, you know, knowing that Satan is a roaring lion and he's out to steal, kill, and destroy our children.
0: A sign on the wall of the picnic shelter at the protestor reunion read, the first tea party was held in Kanawha County 35 years ago. Avis Hill and retired school teacher Carl Priest see themselves as pioneers.
12: Don't let anybody show you short. We start the movement that has grown in momentum.
7: I have no doubt that West Virginia was the, uh, to use an analogy of, of the American Revolution, the place where the shot was fired, that was heard around the world.
12: Every time you turn on the television and you watch Fox News or Glenn Beck or you watch Sean Hannity and... In 1974, when we got started, there was no Fox News there was no Russian animals, there
7: was no Sean Hannity. Hi, welcome back to Fox and Friends. The books your children are learning from could be filled with harmful inaccuracies. You would be surprised to
10: learn that the most commonly used textbooks in schools are being used as tools for propaganda. But I gotta tell you something, at, I would at, not want my kids in a school where they are taking a captive
12: audience and indoctrinating them with views that at, contradict at, mine.
0: So unlike 35 years ago, Reverend Hill has plenty of company on cable TV.
12: Our nation is in peril. Our children are being destroyed every day.
0: Our homes are being crushed and destroyed. In a strange way, Hill and the other textbook protesters feel vindicated that what they prophesied back in 1974 has come true.
12: We've lost the family unit. We've lost morality. We've lost our way. And America's reaping today because we have been thrown out to the wind and we're reaping a whirlwind of what we've done in the past.
2: There was a whirlwind, all right. There was just everything just flying around me, and all I did was just stand where I had always stood, and it was driving liberalism crazy.
0: Alice Moore has always seen herself as the calm center of the whirlwind that got kicked up in Kanawha County.
2: I didn't cause this whirlwind. The whirlwind developed around me because I spoke up and said something and didn't just calmly go along and go along and go along with what they were trying to do. I just, I stood where I was. And I told other people, this is what they're trying to do to our children and let's hold our ground.
0: Standing firm, holding one's ground, taking an unpopular position based on deeply held core beliefs, it's how things should work in a democracy. But something else happened in Kanawha. Condescension and belittling on one side, taunting and threats on the other side, raised the mercury to the top of the tube, inciting people to fire sniper bullets into school buses and bomb classrooms with dynamite and Molotov cocktails. That's the ugly legacy of the textbook war. The whirlwind is still with us. Ages ago, the Kanawha River cut a deep, winding valley in the unglaciated Allegheny Plateau. Sometimes it seems like we sit with our own tribe on opposite banks of the river, believing that the world would be better if the other side simply went away. You've been listening to The Great Textbook War, this program was produced by Trey Kay and Deborah George with help from Anna Sale, Jonathan Mitchell, Mia Lobel, and Rosa Mayer. Music was provided by Michael Lipton and Tristan Lozow. Special thanks to Henry Battle, Stan Baumgartner, Richard Faust, Dr. Carol Mason, Fanny Casey, Deborah Jarvis, Lucy Welburn, Will Hanna, Susan Small, Ruth Josick, Craig Kay, Sam and Janie Bowling. Kathy Kay, Governor Gaston Caperton, and New York Public Radio, WNYC. The Great Textbook War was sponsored by the Kanawha Historical and Preservation Society and made possible with funding from the West Virginia Humanities Council, Friends of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, Kanawha Senators Community Partnership Grant, the CRC Foundation, and generous listener support. I'm Trey Kaye.